uh, I'm excited for my message. It's been a lot, so I'm just going to go into it. Does that sound good? The title of my message today is, There is Grace on This House. Grace on This House. And the house is not this building, by the way. It's, it's you. There's grace on your life. You are graced by God. And, and you look throughout the Bible, to give you a little context for grace, just so you can understand a little bit. Grace is mentioned 120 plus times uh, throughout the Word of God. Uh, 16 of the 21 epistles, fancy word for book, the uh, books in the Bible, Philippians, Galatians, epistles are letters to churches. 16 of 21 says, may grace be upon you. Grace is this amazing thing. It's a gift from God uh, throughout the Bible. It shows that uh, we're saved by grace. I want to read you a verse, actually. It's one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. It says this, that we're saved by grace. For it is by grace you have been saved. Everybody say grace. grace. Oh, saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. You don't get good to get God. You get God to get good. Come on. It's by grace that you have freedom. You don't come in trying to get free so you can have God. He, he makes it happen. I know that sentence wasn't a correct grammar, but I still liked it. Grace is this concept, but it's not a concept. It's actually Jesus. And grace is this thing where when you first become a believer, I just, I don't know about you, but man, I, I struggled with a lot of shame and condemnation as a believer in my first five years, 10 years. I would leave church on Sunday and on Monday, I'd be like, okay. And you know, I'm, I'll just be a little transparent. I was, I was 17 years old going to high school. Okay, don't lust. Um, and go to high school. Don't look at any girl and lust, Tyler. Don't do it. Don't do, I'm, I'm a sinner. Oh, I'm terrible. God hates me again. And on Tuesday, I, I was dating a girl. And I'm like, okay, you're going to date her. You're going to honor her. Don't, you know, don't, don't do anything wrong, Tyler. And by Friday, I remember just feeling terrible because I just failed at my bar of life. And I'd go to church on Sunday and be like, can I even worship God? And I thought sin was the big bad guy in my life. I was so focused on not sinning so I could have grace. But actually, you get grace and it gets rid of sin. And, and I want you to hear this real quick. It, it, the picture the Lord gave me was, and, and some of you need to hear this, the Lord showed me in a corner before I was saved, and, and the, it was like a boxing corner. And this corner, standing 6'4", 214 pounds of twisted steel, Tyler Johnson. Don't laugh at the twisted steel. This is my dream, okay? Fine, 214 pounds of cuddliness, all right? Um, twisted steel. And in the other corner is this thing called grace and Tyler with his 214 pounds and all his sins and if you knew him you would maybe not be my friend but I get in that ring with this thing called grace and grace knocks out my sin every time and you may be saying Tyler you don't get my sin times your sin times a thousand grace still knocks your sin out in a second this is an amazing picture I'll show you a verse that even says it it says this in Romans it says for as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners so by the one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Talking about Jesus, come on now. Now the law came to increase the trespasses, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Come on, grace is the big bad guy. Your sin is not the big bad guy. Grace is the new bully on the block, but it's a good bully, one that protects you, sets you free. Come on now. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also may reign through righteousness. And you may be saying, so does that mean like, like, I can sin as much as I want, but grace is going to keep on getting bigger. No, no, no. No, no, no. It's not, why stop sinning if Jesus keeps forgiving? That's not what it means. Grace also shows in Titus 2.11 that grace helps you live the life you're called to live. So grace saves you, but then it also sustains you and refines you. It says in Titus 2.11, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people, 
it teaches us. Grace will teach you. This is an amazing thing. Grace, is, grace will teach you to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Grace wants to set you apart, wants to set you free because the present age offers bondage and destruction, but grace offers you freedom and restoration. I think it's very obvious that we need to understand this thing called grace. It's amazing. It's, it's one of the most repeated words in the Bible, but then when you ask a Christian what grace is, they're like, I, I don't know. How do you use grace? What does grace even look like? In, what is the, what's the role in my life? I don't know. Well, there's grace on this house. For it to be on this house and for it to even multiply, you need to understand it. So I'm going to unpack who grace is, and his name is Jesus. I'm going to unpack the language of grace. Grace has a language throughout the Bible. It's phenomenal. It's an amazing thing. Grace will teach you how to walk. There's a pace of grace. It shows in Matthew. And so I'm hoping at the end of this that you would have a new swagger in your life. It's a new bounce in your step, a new confidence, understanding that it's not who you are, but whose you are. We bow your heads. So God, as we go into this message, I pray right now that, oh, that we would hear how much you love us, how much you're for us. Oh, that when you call us out of ways that we're living, it's not to shame us, but it's to set us free. Lord, when you teach us to not live like the world, it's not to make us boastful and proudful. You're, you're trying to set your daughter, son and daughter free to, to live the life they're called to live. Oh, so may my words fall to the floor today. Oh, may your words soar. Oh, Lord, we need you. We need you. And everybody said? So I only have two points today, not three. This is really weird for me. I kind of have four, actually, but I really have two points, okay? Um, grace will affect the way you talk, and grace will affect the way you walk. Those are my two big points, all right? If you have your Bibles, turn it, uh, your Bibles to Zach, Zechariah 4. We're going to learn from Zerubbabel. 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 Let's call him Z. It's just a hard name to say, okay? Um, so Zechariah 4, to set this up, the nation of Israel has been flattened by the enemy. It has been destroyed, okay? And so Zerubbabel, 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 Z, uh, it's so hard for me. I literally practice, like, I'm not going to say it. So let's just call him Z, okay? Z shows up on the scene, and he is going to rebuild God's temple. One of my favorite things about this is that the nation is flattened. The people are, just again, depressed. What are we going to do? And the first thing that Zerubbabel decides to do is build God's house, not his own house first. What a fascinating, even that little pearl right there. And so he... Starts by laying the foundations, but you can get a little discouraged when you're trying to build in a area where everything's being destroyed. And so this is what the Lord responds to Zerubbabel. Actually, I think that was the right way. Zerubbabel. I don't speak this, whatever that is. Um, then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. Everybody say spirit. spirit. Come on, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? So it goes on, and uh, the Lord's responding, and, and Zerubbabel's speaking. Who are you, great mountain? And I even love that moment. We're just going to stop real quick right there. I love that he speaks through the mountain in front of him. And, and the Bible shows very clear that we're supposed to speak to our mountains. I want to read you a verse in Mark 11. It says, Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass. It will be done for him. You need to stop worrying about your mountains. Just give a heads up. You need to stop complaining about your mountains. You need to start talking to your mountains. And we're going to learn the language of grace, that how you talk to your mountains to get rid of your mountains. And so who are you all? Who are you, mountain? Before Zerubbabel, oh gosh, I, I'm almost done with this text. Thank you, Jesus. Um, I was going to be like, I, did, I don't know what, how was today? It was that, okay? Um, you shall become a plain. 
before Zerubbabel? You shall become a plain? Let's call him Z. I'm so sorry. I, I, before Z, you shall become a plain. What are you going to say before Jesus? Before, but what? So the mountain before Z is going to become a plain. Before Tyler, mountains are going to become a plain. Ty, don't talk yourself up that big. I'm not talking myself up big. I'm not talking about having a big head. I'm talking about having a big calling. And I have a big God who gave me a big calling. And I have this thing called the spirit that lives in me. It won't be my, 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 or my strength, but by his spirit. And when mountains get in front of me, before Tyler, mountains will move. Before your life, mountains will move. You, you need to see yourself. Grace needs to change the way you talk. People who are confident talk differently. People who are timid talk differently. And Jesus wants to give you this confidence in grace and not yourself. And he goes on to tell him, and this is the language of grace right here. It's an amazing statement. And he shall bring forward the top stone and shouts of it, grace, grace. It's one of my favorite parts of the whole Bible. Now, just to give you a little context in scripture, the top stone would be the very finishing touches to the building. It would be like the red uh, ribbon ceremony of cutting it. It would be the last part of the temple being built. And what God is teaching our boy Z is that he is going to grab the top stone, stand on the foundation. The foundation has been laid. He's going to stand on it. And he's going to declare to the enemy, and he's going to declare to people around him, grace, grace to this temple. And if I'm being honest, let's just be real. Um, this moment, I don't know if Z grabbed the top stone and was like, grace? And the Lord, you see in the scripture, it says, shout grace, grace. I, the way I picture it sometimes, this is how, at least how I played it out, is, Lord, in my walk, I've been saying, grace on my life? Maybe? And God's like, I didn't say, say grace. I said, say, shout grace. Grace on my life. No, I didn't say, say grace. I said, say grace, grace on your life. Grace, grace on my life. Grace, grace on my marriage. Grace, grace on Mission Church. Grace, grace on your life. Grace, grace on this region. There is a language to grace, grace. But what does grace, grace represent? It represents the finished product. And you'll see a rhythm of God that he comes to people and he declares grace, grace over their life before they're even what they're supposed to be. He gives them a picture of it. I, I want to show it to you. Turn your Bibles to um, uh, John 146 through 49. John 146 through 49. So Jesus comes on the scene and Philip's saying, hey, you got to come meet Jesus. Nathaniel is his brother. Bartholomew is his other name in the other gospels. The same guy, one of the 12 disciples. And Nathaniel is on the scene sitting there. And he's like, you got to come meet Jesus. And, and Nathaniel's like, is there anything good that could come from Nazareth? Who is this guy? He's kind of talking trash about Jesus, one of the uh, disciples. So if you're talking trash about God, you're in good company, okay, before you got saved. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said to him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel just talked trash about him, and Jesus walked up and said, Nathaniel, here's a, here's a real son of me where there is no deceit. You know what he's doing, Nathaniel, right there? Hey, Nathaniel, grace, grace. I see the finished product. I know that you just talked trash about me, but you're going to be the one that praises me. I know that you're not changing the world right now, but I'm declaring you're going to change the world. Grace, grace, Nathaniel. So Jesus comes on the scene to grace, grace, and build something different. In the Old Testament, our boy Z was building a temple. In the New Testament, Jesus came to build you. 
And he is the great prophet. The book of Zechariah, Zechariah was known as the prophet of hope. And Jesus is living hope. So he comes on the scene and he enters your life and he comes to say to you, grace, grace, a perfect person I see. And I, I, I think that what Jesus said is almost so hard to grasp, but I'm even more impressed by how Nathaniel reacts. He doesn't even fight him. He's like, okay, cool, I'm, in. I'm down, I'm down, okay. He goes, how do you know me? <laughs> like, I wouldn't respond that way. He goes, how do you know me? Nathaniel asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. People have been flattened by culture. Let's look at the Old Testament again. Jesus is the, is the better Z. He's the better Zechariah. The nation had been flattened, and there had to be a prophet that came on the scene to rebuild the temple of God. New Testament now. People have been flattened. They've been destroyed by a culture. They've been destroyed by the nation. People are just flattened. They just, their, their spirits, their, their, the way they dream, suicides on the right, people have been flattened. And Jesus comes on the scene and says, I need to rebuild what the enemy's destroyed. And it's not a building, it's people. And he's going to come on into your life, and he wants to speak things in your life that may be too hard for you to even believe, but they are from the living God, and he sees it in you, and you've got to start walking and talking differently. Because if you've ever been around kids, when their parents talk a certain way, kids talk the same way. You can teach your kids everything you want to. Kids catch things more than, they, than, than teaching things. The way you live your life, the way you talk, that's actually what you produce. You can tell your kid, hey, don't talk that way, but then you talk that way. They learn from how you talk. So Jesus comes on the scene, and he wants to talk a little different. Let's keep going. This is going to get better and better. Here we go. Let's watch Jesus uh, do with somebody else. Let's watch him build somebody else up. Matthew 16, if you're over Bibles, I'm just going to paraphrase it uh, to save some time. Go home and read it today. It's a phenomenal, phenomenal verse. Matthew 16 is this moment where Peter has basically been a failure in life by culture's terms. And Peter <laughs> gets told by Jesus, first question he asks, this is a question everybody should be asked. He asks Peter, hey, who am I? Who am I? And he goes, you're, you're the Messiah. And I love his response. You're blessed, Peter, because you know who I am. And to some of you in the room right now, maybe he's your savior, but man, let him be your Messiah. Let him be your Lord. Let him be your leader. Let him be the one that guides your life, and you will be blessed also. And then he goes on to Peter, because now he's given his authority to God. So now, since he's given his authority to God, God's going to give him his identity. He says to Peter, your name's no longer Simon. It's Peter. And upon this rock, I will build the church, and the gates of hell cannot stand against you. I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. I'm in Florida two weeks ago, and I'm at a CVS. We're buying water, and I tell the lady at the very end of our transaction, my wife and I right there, I say, hey, you are awesome. Thank you so much. You're fantastic. And the lady right next to her goes, whoa, 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 don't give her a big head. And the lady's like, I haven't heard, fantastic, well, I haven't heard that in a long time. And the girl's like, well, don't give her a big head. She's going to get all prideful over here. I was like, I was like, I just told her she was great. Like, you don't have to cut the lady down. Let her just have fantastic for 10 seconds. But, but I started thinking about culture. I started thinking about even the way we operate. Can you imagine the other disciples? Can you imagine this moment? It was in the, it, Peter, you're a bad man. I'm going to build my church with you. And the gates of hell cannot stand against you. Can you hey, you're going to give Peter a kind of a big head. Like, I mean, now hold on. Like, he's just Peter. Like, why would Peter be able to do that? He's just a dude. Like, what are you talking about? Peter is going to be the one that the gates of hell cannot stand against. I think we're so caught up with not trying to be prideful in our flesh that we've lost our confidence in our calling. We're so worried about being prideful Christians that we don't walk with a swagger anymore. I uh, got to go to the Warriors game five 
Uh, gosh, how long ago was it? Three years ago, when did they lose? I don't like thinking about it a lot, but game five, Draymond got suspended because he couldn't control his emotions, which never happens. Um, Draymond never comes to our church like, bro, you talked a lot of trash about me. <laughs> Supposedly he's moving in by me. So I, I, I love Draymond Green. Okay, uh, I do. I just, he got to settle down sometimes. Anyway, so Draymond gets suspended, game five, but we're up 3-1 in the series. Uh, one of my uh, good friends surprises me with tickets, Tommy. And uh, so my wife and I go with Tom and Laura, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is my bucket list. I'm going to see confetti drop from the ceiling, and it's going to be the greatest team, 73 wins. I've always dreamt of being at an NBA Finals game, and I get to be there. Oh my gosh, we're going to win. We're up 3-1. Halftime, we're about down 10 now, and I'm sitting there, and I'm nervous. And, and I'm, I literally, like, I didn't even cheer. Like, I literally was just so, like, in awe. I was like, this is literally me watching the game the whole time, basically. You can ask them, like, I didn't, I wasn't like super, like, I, I was just so overwhelmed by like, I'm, I'm here for the moment. And then we're down 15, I was getting worried. I was like, oh my gosh, please, I want to see the confetti drop. It's a dream of mine. Please, please, please. And LeBron and Kyrie both scored 40. We lost. We lost the whole series. And I still haven't seen NBA Finals victory in person, but whatever. If that's my biggest problem, you're like, who cares, bro? It's a big deal to me, okay? Um, I think a lot of us, if I could just be honest, I think a lot of us live life walking around hoping for the victory and that the confetti would drop. I think a lot of us, this is how we kind of process life. Like, I hope I'm living the right life. I hope God blesses me. I hope that I'm going to actually be able to do something great with my life. I'm hoping maybe, I, and so you're kind of walking around, and this is not the language of grace, grace. This is the language of questioning yourself and questioning God's plan. And so we live with this concept and this idea of grace, but we're not really walking it out. We're not talking that way. Now, I'm in Florida two weeks ago. This is all going to make sense in just a second. Uh, I'm with uh, these two uh, little twins. They're three months old. My, uh, my childhood best friend, Drew. I'm the godparents of these kids, Rachel and I. And we're joking about justice when he grows up. Justice and, uh, Joseph, Joseph, justice and Addie Grace are their names. And they just have a new church building. And I was like, man, when your kids grow up and they walk around here, they're going to run this place. And he's like, and then Christine was talking about, yeah, I was a PK and I'd walk around and people would say, hey, you can't go here. And I'd be like, do you know who my daddy is? You know? And so we're like, man, Justin would be like, do you know who my dad is? I own this place, you know? And I sometimes, I got a picture for myself. And these are all just, and we're going somewhere, I promise. I got on the plane and I got home and I walked out the plane and I literally said, do you know who my daddy is, enemy? This whole region? I can do whatever I want to do. I am called by God. The gates of hell cannot stand against me. I'm a bad man. That's literally what I, I literally, like, the champ is here. The champ, I got off the plane, seriously. The, the, the posture I had, it was this amazing picture God gave me. And then he brought me to this uh, verse in 1 Corinthians 4 where it says, oh, it's an amazing verse where it says that Paul says, we're, we're like um, a spectacle on this victor's parade like the general. That people are like watching our lives. And the victors prayed, the general, they'd throw parades and they would basically have confetti because they had the victory. And, and Paul's talking about how they'd be walking to this slaughter, but you're not walking to a slaughter anymore, you're walking to victory now. It's an amazing verse in verse, uh, Corinthians 4. And so I thought of our New Year's Eve and we had these confetti guns. And I, my wife bought them for everybody, but I liked them so much, I shot all of them myself. Okay? Um, nobody knows that. I'm c- coming clean. Okay? They were on the table. I was like, pop, 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 pop. Oh my gosh, pop, 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 pop. I, lo- I loved it. I was built to have confetti in my life. And so... Um, I bought 30 of these uh, on Amazon, all right? And what I'm thinking about doing in year two is I'm thinking about before I walk out the door to just pop off some confetti and say, the champ is here, the champ is here. I'm thinking about walking to Starbucks and saying, the son of God, the son of God, come on, 
I am a son of the living God. I'm thinking about walking into different uh, targets and going, hey, who needs some freedom today? Come on now. Come on. My name is Tyler. The champ is here. The champ is here. Grace, grace on my life. Oh, that one's done. That's, oh, it's another gun. It's another gun. It's the language of grace, grace. But so many of us, who really walks like that? Who, really, who, who talks like that? Like, oh, there's a few people in history. Muhammad Ali talked that way. The greatest boxer of all time, he talked that way. Every son and daughter is supposed to talk that way. That is the language of grace on your life. You are not supposed to walk out timid. Oh, no, you are supposed to walk out of your house on your assignment. And literally when the enemy says, you can't do this, I'm on assignment from my daddy. Do you know who my daddy is? Gates of hell, get out of the way. I'm setting the captives free. Now, that's a great thing that I'm going to do it for myself, but really the language of grace is for other people also. And so I'm supposed to walk into people's lives like Jesus did and say to Nathaniel's, hey, you're perfect. And not so they settle in, but saying that there's a promise on your life to be developed into everything you've actually dreamt to be. I'm supposed to say to people, you are built to conquer the gates of hell. Caleb, can you come up real quick? I want people to hang out with me, and at the very end of it, I want them to feel a certain way when they walk away. I want them to be grace-graced by me. Caleb, will you walk right here? Right here? I want them to hang out with Caleb and be like, Caleb, you're a son of the living God. Hey, you's a bad man. Come on now. You are called to conquer death. You are called to preach the gospel. You are a masterpiece. Ephesians 3.20. God is going to do exceedingly more abundant things than you ever could imagine. Now go sit down. I want to grace grace people. I want to grace grace Caleb's life with my language of grace. I want to grace grace people. I don't want to say, hey, stop building them up. You're going to give them a big head. I'm going to let all of you know you've got a big calling on your life. I brought a bazooka confetti. I'm just kidding. <gasps> I thought about it, but we rent this place, so it's frowned upon. Talk to your spouse differently this season. Grace, grace your spouse. Grace, grace your kids. Grace, grace your coworkers. Grace, grace your friends. Grace, grace your enemies. Talk differently this season. Grace is this weapon that God gave us to literally set the captives free, to destroy darkness. Grace is not just something that just saves us. It is our weapon. It is the big bad guy that comes on the scene to say, sin, you're done. I'm here. Grace, grace to this region. We didn't make sweatshirts just so people could have gear. I want people reminding themselves when they're wearing that sweatshirt and says, grace, grace, that they're called to grace, grace, a region, that they're called to grace, grace, their own lives. Second point is grace will change the way you walk. Grace will change the way you walk. It says this in Matthew 11. I'm going to do the message. Uh, and I'll read the uh, New King James Version for you too. Are you tired? Anybody tired? You don't have to raise your hand. But are you tired? Are you worn out? Maybe you're burnt out. Maybe you're just tired. Burnt out, whatever. Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. And grace wants you to recover your life. Culture is trying to steal your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Everybody say grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. 
Oh, the pace of grace. Grace should change the pace of your life. It should change the pace of your life. I, I showed you this illustration a, a long time ago, and I've actually, I think, shared it the wrong way my whole life. It was one of the first illustrations I ever heard that stuck with me. It was about sheep running off a cliff. And I always talked about you think one sheep would stand up and tell the other sheep to stop running. If you haven't heard it, I'll paraphrase it because I really don't like repeating stories on Sundays. But I, I just, for this text and for this uh, thing, I want you to catch it real quick. So basically, this is a true story. Sheeps will actually start running away from their, uh, their flock, and they'll run away. And one sheep will run off a cliff and die. And the other sheep, because they are so sheep-like, they run the other sheep, and they literally, 500 will run off the cliff and die. So like one, two, 500, they literally, the massacres happen because one sheep runs the way that the uh, opposite of where the shepherd wants to go. And I always share in the story as they're running, you think one sheep after 17 would say, everybody stop, you know, and then I'll do a corny joke. This is a bad idea, okay, I use that. And it kills every time, okay. And everybody's like, he said bad like a sheep, and it's a sheep joke, okay, I get it. And so I'll do that, you know, and and I always be like, and I always say, like, tell people, like, hey, you need to be the sheep that tells everybody to stop and turn around. Culture's killing them. This, the way they're living, it's killing them. Tell them to turn around. And really the way that I should use that illustration is that sheep don't tell other sheep to turn around. Sheep don't know what to do. I believe that when you say yes to your calling, I say yes to my calling. I'm a shepherd. Shepherd tells sheep where to go. And, and the enemy doesn't want you to walk like a shepherd. He doesn't. He wants you all to think you're sheep for the rest of your life. He's big shepherd, and now we're called to build a church, little shepherds. And, and, and I want to give you that. Uh, we're saints. I want to give you that identity that you are called to tell sheep where to find life. I'm going to take it a step further. Jesus' three years of ministry, there's not one time recorded where he's running or in a rush anywhere. His pace of grace was walking everywhere. Even the animal that he came in on was not a horse that ran, but a donkey that only walks. Uh, Bishop Kanye West stole it, but basically, Jesus Walks was a song, okay? Not endorsing Bishop Kanye, I'm just saying that even though he sang a song that Jesus Walks, I don't want to steal from actually the, the truth and the power and really what that means, that Jesus walked. And now his followers come on the scene, and Jesus says, watch how I do it. Watch how I walk everywhere. Watch how I walk with intentionality. Watch how I'm not rushing. Watch how I'm not burnt out. Watch how I live my life. But then, as a pastor, I, I had this thought. Man, we're so focused on telling people, don't sin! Don't do this! Don't drink too much! You can drink, but just don't drink too much! Don't sleep around! Don't do this and that! Don't do this! It'll take your promises out! And as a shepherd, I... I want you to know those are all true things. You, if you live a life of sin, it will steal from you. That's also, sin just wants to steal from you. God wants to literally give you your life, the promises on your life. But I actually think just as potent as living in sin is living in busyness and running ahead of God and running at a pace that is not God called you to run at. Can you imagine if Jesus was on the scene and this is him running to, to things like, uh, let's do the Samaritan woman, okay, at the well. You know the story of the Samaritan woman at the well? Jesus walks uh, there, sits down, talks to a woman at the well, shares basically uh, that he's living water, talks to her about her life and basically what she struggles with. She realizes he's the Messiah. She gets saved. She goes to change the village. It's an amazing story. So she says, watch how I do it. Our mission is to change the world one person at a time. So I watched Jesus like, all right, you changed the world one person at a time. I'm going to watch how you do it. It was a conversation. So we need to have conversations with people in our, in our world. But can you imagine if Jesus was like this? 
Samaritan woman. Uh, you were sleeping around, but I love you. You're saved. All right, I got to go. Okay, see you later. All right, I got to go to the next town. Okay, uh, and then there's a crowd. Can you imagine the woman who is bleeding? Okay, the woman's bleeding, and Jesus is walking in the crowd. And she's like, that's the guy who heals people. That's the guy who restores people. And because he's walking, she goes, maybe, maybe there's enough time for me. You ever, you ever see somebody that you want to talk to, but they're in a rush, they really don't want to listen to you, so you actually want to share what was going on in your day, but because they didn't want to listen to you because they were rushing to the next thing, you didn't share with them, and so you had to hold on to what you had to process with somebody else. You ever been there before? Yeah. So can you imagine this story? And again, I don't want to assume everybody knows it. Basically, she walks up, and she touched the hem of his robe, and she's healed. Can you imagine if Jesus comes through that town like this? Jesus, all right, uh, Jairus' son's uh, dying. I got to sprint to his house. And uh, daughter, excuse me, I'm going to go sprint. I'm going to go save him. And the woman that's bleeding is like, that's Jesus. He's like, hey, good to see you. I hope you're okay. Okay, take a later. Uh, she's now still bleeding and she's still in torment because he's running there. Can you imagine Zacchaeus? climbing up on a tree, and he sees Jesus. And Jesus is like, Zacchaeus, um, text me. We'll get lunch sometime. Let's get a coffee sometime. Sound good? Peace out, Zacchaeus. Never gets coffee with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, I want to have a meal with you right now. I want to have lunch with you. And if I'm just being real, the pace that culture sets you and your kids on and your family on is not from God. We will be a church that sets the pace of grace. We will go to God and say, God, what do you have for my life this season? Because when I see people, they're like this. Oh, man, love church today. Got to go. See you later. Okay, so then I got this tomorrow. I got this on Thursday. I got this on Friday. I got this on Tuesday. And I got this on Monday. And I'm, oh, I made a church twice this month. And I went to small groups. Oh, I did it, Lord. I did it. No. Oh, if you run, the key to any race is running at the right pace. A kid, any race in life. A marathon, sprinting the first mile, you're done for the next 26. And a lot of us don't see burnout coming, but burnout has the same byproduct. Busyness has the same byproduct as terrible sin. It takes you out of the game. Oh, the reason why you walk with grace and at a pace is because you've been called to change the world. You've been called to walk differently and have your eyes open to things. I'm sorry, but hobbies and culture and all the things that are filling your plate, that's not why you're on this planet. I, I got to be with some pastors this last few weeks, and some of them are older now, and they're finishing their last season, and I just realized how short this is going to be for me. This one year went by too fast for me. A lot of people think that, like, Tyler, aren't you excited to be 30 years old? No. I love this season. It's going by so fast. I, I want to change the world with this one life that I have. It's all I got. It's all you got. And if you're going to sprint to things that culture tells you to sprint to, I want to be a shepherd. As you run off the cliff of busyness, I want to scream to you real quick. Stop and turn around. Live for God. Make him a priority in your life. I'm telling you, it will be the best decision of your life. I will make no excuses. No, I won't pull any punches. I'm just going to tell you real quick. You start living for God. You start walking at the pace God has for you. Watch what happens to your life and your marriage and your promises and even your kids. Oh, the pace of grace. You're supposed to stride, not strive. So many people, I mean, oh, I heard this illustration this weekend. It just, it got me. We have this new scoreboard in life, and it's social media, 
It's how your kids are doing, how my kids are doing, how you're doing. And when you have scoreboards with your kids, you see the winner and the loser real easy. Played hoops, winner, loser, winner, loser, winner, loser. But now social media is like Instagram, winner, loser. It's relationship, winner, loser. And we were never called to keep score. Because even as you walk your race, you're chasing the wrong things if you're keeping score. I've already won. I'm a son. I got the dub. It's a blowout win. It's a blowout win. Everything I do from here out, all good if I do it for the Lord. Is it making sense? I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. Acts 2, 17 through 21. Acts 2, 17 through 21. Oh, whoa, stop. I got to share this quote. Uh, talking to a pastor, I love, I love being around giants who have done it before. I ask him a question. Give me something that, I, that you can help me in my season. He's like, okay, you're one year in? He, he told me this. If Satan can't get in front of you and stop you, he will get behind you and push you. If Satan can't get in front of you and stop you, he'll get behind you and push you and burn you out. I was like, all right, Lord, I just want to, whatever you want each year. Every year, I'll just do whatever. I'm not going to try to strive to have this be something that's not supposed to be in year two. I'll just let you do whatever you want to do in year two. If the enemy can't stop you, he's going to try to get on your back and push you and burn you out. It was fascinating to me. So Acts 2, 17 through 21. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy, will show wonders in heavens above and signs on earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I love our church because when my friends visit, they're like, man, like, you're not like one age. A lot of churches right now, they're like one generation that kind of comes to their church. And one of the graces on our house that I prayed would be that we would have all generations represented. And Acts 2 it's a fascinating declaration to the church in the last days, which we're in. Okay? Uh, there's a verse in Hebrews 11 and 12, and it talks about like run the race, passing the baton. I even preached a message on passing the baton. But I feel like sometimes we have these seasons where, okay, I'm, I'm 20. I'm not ready to have you pass me the baton. Or you can say, I'm 70. It's time for me to pass you the baton. Well, I'm, I'm busy. It's time for me to give you the baton. But Acts 2 is not about a baton passing decoration. Batons only get passed when you die, by the way. Hebrews 11 is about the, the hall of fame, basically, of people of the faith. They're all dead, and they pass a baton on to us. We're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses that have ran before us, that have now died, now given us the responsibility of literally the gospel message, lifting up the name of Jesus. And so I read Acts 2, 17 to 21, I'm like, oh, Lord, may year two be all hands on deck. It's all hands on deck decoration. Old, young, male, female, everybody is called to build the church. Everybody. I, I want you to catch this real quick. First Peter 4, 10 through 11 says this. Each of you, everybody say me, should use whatever gift you've received a gift you have uh, received to serve others as faithful servants of God's grace in its various forms. This house is graced. Grace is on this house. You have a grace on your life that I don't, that will bless me and bless others. I have a grace on my life that will bless you and bless others. The way that you have a strong grace, grace on a house is when each one of us uses the gift God gave us to build what God called us to build. 
I, uh, I was in Dallas and in Dallas, like they're like, America! Like it's just a whole different vibe, okay? You know, I got to tell them from California, like, sorry. I'm like, sorry for you, bro. You know, California's great. But they're like, America, you know? And so I'm with one of these pastors and a, you know, like a fighter jet, a plane like flies over us and he's like, pardon the noise, Tyler. That's the sound of freedom. I was like, man, you are full Dallas. You went full Dallas on me, bro. But then I, start, I started thinking to myself, I was like, man, okay, okay, yeah, that's, that's actually, I like that phrase. There's this moment in the Bible where this woman gets saved and she pours out this perfume and is washing Jesus' feet with her hair. And people are critical of, this, of her moment with the Lord. They're like, why is she doing this? Why is she wasting the perfume? Why is she wasting all this at this moment? She doesn't need to waste it. Because the world will tell you when you start to actually live for God and worship God, why waste your life on building the kingdom? It will be attacked by the enemy. Just gonna let you know. And I literally heard the, 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 the words. And I, 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 at that moment, if somebody asked me, hey, Tom, why are you wasting the perfume? I just wanna say, pardon me, it's the sign of freedom. Pardon me, it's the, it's the response of my salvation. And when we worship and people walk into these, uh, the, these doors and they see us get excited about Jesus, they see us raise our hands, I'm just gonna for now on say, Pardon the hands raised, it's a sign of freedom. Pardon the, the voices raised, it's a sign of freedom. Oh, but it gets even better. When we start to lift our voice in a way of worship, I want to say to the gates of hell, like Matthew 16, pardon the worship, it's the sound of freedom coming your way, gates of hell. There's these parts in movies, and it, it's, you know, it's just the way it happened in movies back in the day, but they would have people called to war. We're going to start singing that song. Come on. Come on. You're going to sing while I talk, and we're going to build. It's going to be amazing. Um, so anyways, I, uh, in the movies, they have the men from 18 to da-da-da to grab a sword, and they go off to war, and everybody away, and like, happy fighting. You're the warriors. But in the kingdom of God, every man woman and child of all ages Jesus says grab your sword and I believe that as we walk out of here and we say grace grace apologize the verbiage it's just the language of freedom as we walk a little differently sorry the swagger as I walk into Starbucks and I have two people I've actually thought about hiring two people shoot confetti guns on both sides okay Maybe release some doves. You know what I'm saying? Um, excuse the confidence. It's the confidence of my freedom from my Savior. Pardon me. And so my prayer is, is that oh, just commit to it for a season of your life. And hopefully it becomes a rhythm of your life. But talk differently this season. To yourself even. You are a bad man. You're a bad woman. You are the champ is here. If you're placed in a place, you're placed there because God placed you there to bring freedom and to bring grace, grace to those people. Will you stand up?